This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who love the books. I am Hannah Leach, a multidisciplinary artist, audio producer, and of course, a cotton-headed Ninny Muggins. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and angry elf. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Duping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2003's Elf. New Line Cinema presents the story of one elf who's coming home for Christmas. Boy, can't wait to see my dad. We're, we're gonna go ice skating and eat sugar plums. <laughs> Sorry. Now. I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad. We should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper too. Buddy's experiencing a world he never knew existed. Buddy's your son. What am I gonna do? He, he's certifiably insane. <laughs> Discovering what it takes to fit in and going where no elf has gone before. What he needs is to be nurtured. Bring him home, introduce him to Emily and Michael. How long do you think you'll be with us? I was thinking like forever. He cannot stay here. You can't just throw him out in the snow. He loves the snow. He's told me 15 times. Ow! Son of a Cracker. We can take him. Where did you say you were from? This holiday season. I think you're beautiful and my tongue swells up when I am around you. Get ready. I plan out our whole day. I thought maybe we could make gingerbread houses and maybe even hold hands. For a tall tale. How are we gonna get the star on top? Of elfish proportions. I got it. Will Ferrell. Okay, people, Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! I know him. I know him. Hell. It's our Christmas episode. I hope, we both hope, surely, that your lead up to Christmas is going well. Your current Hanukkah. (laughs) Or Hanukkah would be over by then. Yeah, it would be over. But I hope Hanukkah was good. Also, Hanukkah was incredible. (laughs) If you're a Kwanzaa girl, at least a lot of the Jewish friends I had, such as Abby, if you're listening, hi, Abby, who were obsessed with Christmas. And, um, but the thing is, I feel like the jealousy of watching all the Jewish girls get so many good, expensive gifts for their bat mitzvah outweighs the power of like all Christmas. You think so? Yeah, because they got so much good stuff. Here's the thing. They go all out for the gifts for the bat mitzvah. So it's like, you're going to get every Pandora charm you ever wanted in your entire (laughs) life. You're going to get everything you've ever wanted. Like it was just like a higher caliber of gift. I mean, you're right. But I think the drawback is that it is a higher caliber of gift, but you are unfortunately at a point in your life where your taste is probably not great. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I don't know so though. It's a trade-off. I, I feel like some of some adults buying bat mitzvah gifts for kids would like go for class over like what they necessarily want at that time. Yeah. Like they're gonna get them like a classic Tiffany necklace. Like that's always going to be Ooh, uh, good. A classic Tiffany necklace. No, I just remember that. I remember the wow. girls getting really good stuff. I like wasn't in the splash zone the same way that you were in terms of bat mitzvahs. Like I went to a yeah, few, you had but no time. 
You had no time to get in, to know people, to be invited because you were new. No, it was messed up, but you know, it's okay. I love how we're immediately talking about (laughs) bat mitzvahs, but you know, that's okay. That is what we do on this show. Our question for the culture this week. Wee woo, wee woo, wee woo. (laughs) If you are a child or if you have a child listening to this, proceed with caution. The question for the culture this week is, did we ever truly from the bottom of our hearts believe in Santa Claus, Audrey? I know I didn't. I don't have any memories of believing in Santa Claus. If you look at the tapes, if you roll back the tapes, yeah, it probably looks like I do. But I don't actually like remember believing in Santa Claus. I think I was just going with it. I mean, why wouldn't you go with it? Like I was, I just, I was born with skepticism. Like, I just don't think I ever believed it because it just seemed too unreal. Like, I'm like, it's just not something that's happening. There is not a man coming in this house. Like, I'm like, there's just no way. I remember definitely believing it. I was always like, if he's so fat, how is he going to fit down the chimney? Something isn't clicking. And then it would be like, oh, well, he's magic. I also remember like really listening for like shifting around downstairs in the middle of the night or whatever. I do have to say, I know this is not a unique experience, but I was like absolutely lit out of my mind on Christmas mornings (laughs) as a kid, like waking up hours early, so excited. My parents being like, go back to sleep. We can't do it yet. Yeah, I almost feel like you would wake me up. I mean, there probably were a few years where it was like even, evenly matched. Oh, I would for sure wake you up. Yeah, (laughs) it's time to go. We got to go. I have to have told this story before. When I think about believing in Santa Claus, I think about my elementary school best friend and how he passed me a note in like fifth grade that was like, I'm depressed. And I was like, what's wrong? And he was like, last night, my parents told me Santa Claus isn't real. (laughs) So we're going to get more into this exact subject later on in the notes, but Josh's family never did the Santa Claus ruse. It was always just like mom and dad got us stuff. Yay. And I feel like I think it's actually better. Nuts. I think it's better too. It's like yeah. nuts to, because it also is like, if your kid didn't like the gift, they'll feel really empowered to be like, fuck Santa. If they don't know to like not be rude. I actually have another topic. Oh, okay. What's your topic? Last night I was at Disney on ice. So the reason I was at Disney on Ice is because Hunter ended up getting free tickets through work because Mm -hmm. some like lawyer person that his boss works with no longer needed them, some situation like that. Okay. So there we were in the box suite um, (laughs) with like a bunch of parents and children for Disney on Ice. And the, the show was the first half was Frozen and the second half was Encanto. And I hadn't even seen Encanto. So I was like, oh God, like it's, it's just a very funny concept to, (laughs) for like your first exposure to a story to be the ice adaptation. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like what? First of all, the stunts were amazing. Like our jaws Mm. were. They were dropped. Dropped for sure. Like there was like (laughs) aerial silks. Like it it was crazy. Oh my God. It was actually really crazy. But Um, what I was thinking about after though, is like, can you think of an, a real I want song that comes from a male protagonist in a Disney movie? Oh my God. Yes. Go the distance. Oh yeah. That's it. That's the one. And I guess Aladdin has one too. Oh yeah. Aladdin has one. I feel like there are more lead characters in Disney movies that are women by kind of a lot. Yes, there are, especially in like the, the you know, the classic like princess-esque films that we're talking, that we tend yes. to talk about. But yes. what I was thinking, I have like a great idea for okay. the next princess movie. <laughs> okay. So you know how they're always trying to be really clever with their like, girls can fight and they're smart, et cetera. Yes, yes. So what if like the prince is the protagonist? 
the prince okay. is really fulfilling that role of like uh, the prince sings the I want song. And what does he want? He wants to fall in love. Mm, okay. That's what he wants. It's not, I need to go defeat blank or I need to yeah. go do some bullshit to try to market to boys. It's not that. Yeah. It is full on. And, and his reasons for wanting to fall in love would be very deep. I don't know. You know, it'd be like some kind of trauma shit. I don't know. But <laughs> the way it is for woman characters. Yeah. Exactly. So I yeah. just feel like that would actually be subversive for Disney because they are so bad at finding ways to yeah. make a feminist movie. <laughs> like they're so yeah, bad yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah. I think that that is an interesting premise. And then you have the princess more in that secondary role, like where say maybe like a Flynn Rider would be. That's like, what I was thinking too. Yeah. very They're very desirable, but they're also not like, they like have a personality. Yes, but they their yeah. personality trait is not being clumsy. It's nothing yes. to do with quirky or clumsy. And I think that there's something to that. I think they should do that. I agree. That would also be really fun to like write the music for. Yeah. And there's so many like pre-existing tropes that you can use in like fun mm-hmm. ways. And it should be a musical and... There's a there's just like a way that they could like knock it out of the park marketing wise, but they would need to like employ the right people because their people would butcher it. Like, right, 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 right. I'm thinking about like, because you know with Tangled how the music was kind of like, it's, it's show tunes, but it's like very much sonically inspired by like singer songwriter type stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I wonder what it would be for like a boy equivalent. Like, what would it be modeled after? Would it be like cold play? <laughs> <laughs> no. Why can't we just go full musical theater style? We don't need yeah, it to yeah. be. Because I actually hate that. Like, I think it works in Tangled, but like it usually doesn't, I, yeah. I find. And and like after listening to the music of Encanto, which is by the <laughs> one and only Lin-Manuel Miranda, <laughs> I don't need to hear it ever again. <laughs> I always think of that TikTok of him being like, Encanto, Encanto. <laughs> anyway, I just had to get that out. I'm going to keep thinking about that because I think that's a really good idea. I also, one of my like goals, like one of my creative goals that I really want to do, and I know Audrey, I think we've talked about this before, is like writing a musical in the musical style of like a Rodgers and Hammerstein or something where they like don't sing Like, I know we've talked about this, but like in contemporary musical theater, when they put in likes and ums, I hate that shit so much. And uh, because you're singing already, why would you put those in there if you're already breaking reality anyway? Actually, no, the biggest gag of the whole thing was (laughs) the very end, because you've got like Minnie, Mickey, Donald and Goofy who narrate the in-between so like they're there at the beginning. They're like, we're going to talk about imagination. <laughs> and then they did like this like production number that was like, making okay. wishes come true, blah, blah, like that. And uh-huh. then the choreo was great. Ice skating choreo, like they were doing like a full on samba on ice. I don't know how that works, but they were. And then that is so wild. at the very end, after the Encanto story had ended, they come back out, Minnie, Mickey, Donald, and Pluto. Pluto? Goofy. Goofy. Wait, Pluto is also a character. Pluto is a dog, which is confusing because there's other dogs. Yeah. Anyway, they come back out and then out of nowhere, you've got the four OGs. Well, actually, it was an interesting choice of OGs because it wasn't, it didn't go all the way back. So I thought like Cinderella and Snow White would be there, but they weren't. It was Belle, Jasmine, Mulan, and Ariel. I mean, that's a pretty good lineup still. Yeah. Mulan, though, is such a 90s choice. Yeah. So, I mean, that I feel like that was the actual gag. Like everyone was like, oh my God, it's the princesses. I mean, I would have lost it. And then I was just thinking about how much better it would be if they just did like 
an ice review, like one from each princess and like really line them up and like, yeah. And I'm sure that has existed. Yeah, I'm sure they had to have done that at some point. It's just like such an easy thing to do to make yeah. money. Oh, the best part was that where we were sitting in our box thing, we could see the entire backstage. So like we got to witness like how these unfortunate mascot characters were coming off the ice. But you can tell that like Disney threatens them against their life. Like you have to be in character all the way until you're in the behind the curtain. Okay. Because they were just like walking off. It was just so weird to see. (laughs) That was really strange. I mean, Disney is known to threaten the lives of their employees in entertainment contexts, so. And I saw, like, a head come off, though, and I was like, ooh. Oh. The thing I was going to say is, God, this is at least Christmas-related, which is that Josh and I saw the Jinx and De La holiday show last night. Jinx Monsoon and Ben de la Creme. And it was like pretty good. I wasn't like, I didn't have my socks knocked off, but I do mm-hmm. really love them. Jinx had a number instead of Santa Baby. It was Krampus Daddy, which was funny. And it was just like a really, really vivid song about having sex with Krampus, which I enjoyed. And then in the second half, the woman sitting next to Josh got like exceptionally sloshed and was like clinging on to him and he had to like tell her to stop. That sucks. I know, it was a key. Would recommend going to the show though, it was good. Let's get into these facts. Maybe we'll just rip through them. Yeah, let's. Elf was released in theaters on November 7th, 2003 and was rated PG. It was directed by John Favreau, known for The Mandalorian, The Live Action Lion King and Jungle Book, Young Sheldon, and Iron Man. It was written by David Berenbaum, who wrote Zoom, The Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion, The Spiderwick Chronicles, and oddly, this was his first screenplay to be made into a movie, which is kind of surprising to me. Okay, these synopses. Because we're going fast, Audrey, why don't you just pick one? Okay, the Rotten Tomatoes synopsis. Buddy was accidentally transported to the North Pole as a toddler and raised to adulthood among Santa's elves. Unable to shake the feeling that he doesn't fit in, the adult Buddy travels to New York in full elf uniform in search of his real father. As it happens, this is Walter Hobbs, a cynical businessman. After a DNA test proves this, Walter reluctantly attempts to start a relationship with the childlike Buddy with increasingly chaotic results. That's a good final sentence, I do have to say. Increasingly chaotic is accurate. Taglines. First one is a comedy of elfish proportions. The second one is this Christmas, discover your inner elf. And the third one is this holiday season, discover your inner (laughs) elf. I don't know if I want to discover my inner elf, frankly. I think these taglines are bad. They could have done something clever like... PSAs from, or like the life rules of elves. Like when he says like, we stick to the main four food groups, candy, candy canes, whatever, candy corns and syrup. They could have do some kind of like, like fake elf ads. Does that make sense? Or like fake elf PSAs. Like a food pyramid situation, but with that. Yeah. So, okay, here's the cast. We have Will Ferrell as Buddy, best known for SNL, Talladega Nights, Anchorman, Blades of Glory, this movie. He was also recently in Barbie, and he's very much into producing now. We have James Caan as Walter Hobbs. He died last year, it turns out, but he was in The Godfather, Thief, Rollerball, and Misery. And this is a line from his bio on IMDb that I thought was funny. A masculine and enigmatic actor whose life and movie career have had more ups and downs than the average roller coaster. I loved masculine and enigmatic. That really caught my eye. Next, we have Bob Newhart as Papa Elf. He was in 184 episodes of his own show, and he was in The Rescuers, and of course, Legally Blonde 2, who could forget? Next, we have Edward Asner as Santa. He died in 2021. Again, R.I.P., But he did the voice of Carl from Up. He was also on the Mary Tyler Moore show and he was in JFK. 
Then we have Mary Steenbergen as Emily Hobbs, best known for Last Vegas, Step Brothers, Back to the Future Part 3, Time After Time, and The Last Man on Earth. I gotta say, she is sort of a Christmas movie icon because okay, she always she plays the familiar mom. to me. Like yeah. she's in um, Four Christmases that I just rewatched with Hunter. It's got Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. It's a comedy. She is the mom okay. in that. And then she's also the mom in The Happiest Season, which is a newer mm. one. Um, yeah. But she's married to Victor Garber in that. Wait, is Victor Garber in The Happiest Season? Yeah, he's the dad. I forgot about that. Okay, I actually want to rewatch that. It's It's really good. Like for a new Christmas movie where, and where not very often is there a new Christmas movie that is good or feels as though it could be added to like the canon in a long-term yeah. sense. And I feel like The Happiest yeah. Season actually could. And what's, what sucks about that movie is that, or what happened to it is that COVID hit. It, was, it came out the year that COVID hit. So it yeah. would have been theatrical and like it maybe would have had more of that like image of, being like a real movie, but because so many movies came out streaming only, it's like kind of a bummer. It's so sad. Yeah, I'm going to rewatch it for sure. Next, we have Zoe Deschanel herself playing Jovi, best known for New Girl, 500 Days of Summer, Elf, and The Happening. And she's in fucking Trolls Band together, which I am not joking. When we visited Audrey in LA, it was like everywhere you went, was the most egregious trolls band together marketing to the point where now when I see anything related to it, I like laugh to myself. Then we have Andy Richter and Kyle Gass as Morris and Eugene. I really only put that there because I didn't realize that that was Kyle Gass of Tenacious D fame, Uh, but it is. So shout out to him and Andy Richter, of course. And then Peter Dinklage as Miles Finch. But he's best known for Game of Thrones, The Station Agent, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, X-Men, Days of Future Past, and also has kind of been in the news for single-handedly like getting Disney to delete having actual little people in the live action Snow White. I had these quotes here that I thought were interesting. This was in an interview with Mark Marin. He said, Literally no offense to anything, but I was sort of taken aback. He said, they were very proud to cast a Latino actress as Snow White, but you're still telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Take a step back and look at what you're doing here. It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way, but you're still making that fucking backward story about Seven Dwarves living in a cave together. Have I done nothing to advance the cause for my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. And then they decided to do weird CGI dwarves instead. Which is literally worse. The fact that you're, the fact that you, because that to me, the message that that sends is no, it's more important that we make this money than it is for real people to feel respected. Because you're going to say, oh, okay, yeah, we won't make actual people with dwarfism perform these roles. So we will instead completely dehumanize them and make them not real. Well, they even said that they were going to change the dwarf characters to, quote, magical creatures created with CGI. Just to avoid offending you, now we're going to take your identity and make it not even a human. So, like, there's literally no winning there. Well, the article was interesting, too, because it had some quotes from, like, other people with dwarfism or, like, other actors. And they basically were like, Peter Dinklage has not been on a soapbox about this. He has never spoken about any, like, issues related to this until that interview. So they were kind of just like, publicly, Like, it's very, very possible that he's been fighting tooth and nail behind the scenes, like, with people who actually make calls. So I feel like, uh, obviously... He's been through a lot in the industry in his career, but yeah, yeah and maybe it hasn't always been a public thing. Maybe this That's is just the, the sh- straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Anyway, so now back to the budget. Budget was thirty-three million, and the domestic opening made thirty-two million one hundred thousand. The worldwide gross is two hundred twenty million four hundred forty-three thousand four hundred and fifty-one. 
Okay, now going into critic opinions. So the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is an 86% and on Metacritic, it earned a 66. The critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. A movie full of yuletide cheer, Elf is a spirited, good-natured family comedy, and it benefits greatly from Will Ferrell's funny and charming performance as one of Santa's biggest helpers. The Hollywood Reporter said, while the words instant holiday classic might be pushing it, Elf is at very least a breezily entertaining, perfectly cast family tree. The New York Daily News said, a non-sappy and genuinely adorable confection. It wiped away the Scrooge in me for 90 enchanting minutes. The Portland Oregonian said, if you're one of those fussy film goers who demands that a movie engage somewhat higher body parts, the heart say, and the brain, you'll find only intermittent comfort and joy in this high concept, low wattage film. And then lastly, Vulture. I was looking forward to something a tad more satirical than this hallmark card of a movie, which plugs innocence and goodness like they're going out of style. It's a Christmas movie. It's not rated R. I feel like that's kind of a 2003 take, a little bit. Going into common sense media. So again, child warning, child warning. Don't listen to this part if you are a child or if you have a child in the room. Common Sense Media gave Elf four stars and said it was appropriate for kids ages seven and up. They described the movie as a peppy holiday favorite for both parents and kids. There were some reviews here. Audrey, would you care to read these? So here's a three-star review. Reviewers have expressed concern about the scene in which Papa Elf says that people doubt that Santa exists and that they think it is actually the parents doing everything. To avoid little kids hearing that, you can mute for 30 seconds after Papa Elf says, as silly as it sounds, in the sleigh room scene. On DVD, this was from minute 740 to minute 810. Here's a one-star review. I didn't really think the humor was that great, and my then three- and five-year-olds didn't get most of it either. I agree that suggestions like parents being Santa is problematic problematic. Why? <laughs> I almost feel like it's sort of a relief. Like if my, if I was keeping up the ruse and then yeah. my kid was like, oh, like they're just kind of gleaning the truth. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that's better than being heartbroken one day. Like, yeah, I agree. I almost feel like that's probably what my truth actually is, is like, I just didn't know shit as a child. And then I just quick, like pretty quickly gleaned the fact that it wasn't real. It is so strange to me that like society has bought into this whole bit. Yeah. Like, like apolitically across all identities. It's like, Mm -hmm. we need to pretend like a random man does all of this. It's so interesting and strange. It is weird. And I don't even think it's less magical. I actually still think it's equally as magical for presence to appear overnight, regardless of if you think about Santa or not. It's like the cute little surprise. Even if you know it's coming, it's like, ooh, what's it going to be? Like, that's still fun. Okay, so now audience score and letterboxed star rating average. So 79% of Rotten Tomatoes users liked the movie and on Letterboxd, it has an average of 3.4 stars. This one review from Letterboxd did not have a star rating, but it said, saw this in IMAX. So that means I saw a six story tall Peter Dinklage beat Will Ferrell's ass. (laughs) The next one, three stars. I don't think I'll ever get over how much Will Ferrell terrified me as a kid. And then four stars. This movie feels like chicken noodle soup and ginger ale when you have a cold. So when did we first watch Elf? What do we remember about it? I feel like I watch this movie every year. The main thing I remember about it from when we were kids is that part where Buddy runs to the tree and like launches himself at it and it falls over. Mm -hmm. Like our parents, once again, would like (laughs) die at that part. I don't know if this is a real memory or not, but I'm pretty sure they did a... They did an elf screening in the Silver Lake Elementary Gymnasium. The second you said, I'm not sure if this was a real memory, I knew what you were going to say. Yeah. So I can corroborate that that did happen. Yeah, and I, I want to say that was the first time. And so that's very magical in itself. That also kind of reminds me of like Christmas 
parties uh, or like holiday, the holiday yeah. party before you go on break, yeah. which is like the best. Yeah. Um, just like messing around for half a day, basically. And this is like one of the only Christmas movies that we did repeat watch. And I, I was talking to Hunter about this the other day because he's got all these like live action Christmas movies that he watches or watched with his family like every year that are more modern. All that we would ever watch or rewatch would be the 1970s creepy Mm -hmm. ass thingies. What are those called? The Rankin Bass specials. Yeah, Yeah, we would do those. Maybe A Christmas Story and maybe Elf. But that's yeah. it. Actually really want to revisit the creepy puppet ones. I remember at some point, like, we used to always watch them. And then I remember one year I was like, let's watch them. And mom and dad were like, no. I <laughs> mean, like, they are really obnoxious. That. Here's the thing, though. My favorite one was The Year Without a Santa Claus. And I do want to watch that one again. The moment that I like is just the song Heat Miser. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Go do your annual elf viewing on Max right now. And then meet us back here to spread some Christmas cheer by singing loud for all to hear, perhaps. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. All right, people, welcome back to our episode about Elf, 2003's Elf, starring Will Ferrell. I'm thinking that we can just go from the beginning and just walk through with our opinions. One of my favorite parts of the entire movie is the very beginning when he talks about, um, when Papa Elf talks about the different professions that elves can have. Yeah. I think that's very clever. And I was like, okay, this is a great screenplay right off the top. I did wonder to myself, what would this movie had been like if it was Jack Black? I hate to say it. I think that everyone would be more of a hater about it. Yeah, probably. I think it would it has it would have the potential to be just as good or better in a different way. But also I do think that Will Ferrell brings the perfect like demeanor to this role because it can so easily flop into like offensive or like creepy. Like, I feel like he's, he's walking a fine line. I think he does Mm -hmm. as well of a job with it as he can for considering what the role entails, which in the context of the real world is like, like he makes complete sense in the North pole. But as soon as he's in New York, it's like you're seeing him through the eyes of like a regular New Yorker and you're like, oh, is this like, how disabled is this man? <laughs> like, You know, it's true. That's like, that's, no, it's that's true. what the movie is asking you to see him as as soon as he's in the I context. Know. Like, I know. I think there's some threads in this that are interesting in that, and then I can go back to the chronological part. But one of the things that I think this movie is actually interestingly like talking about and not talking about is like 
manhood as like a death sentence to like not enjoy your life or like be happy. And like manhood and capitalism and how they like interact. Yes. Yes. And like workaholism. Like it reminds me of Mary Poppins a little bit with like the dad working so much. Yeah. It actually would be kind of interesting. This is a side note to compare like an aquamarine fish out of water, haha, pun intended, to an elf fish out of water situation because you kind of don't really question aquamarine's intelligence. You just know she has a different kind of intelligence. Whereas with Buddy, he just so happens to also be kind of not that smart. (laughs) Yes. Well, I also, uh, so I wrote down in my notes, Big versus life size versus elf versus aquamarine. I haven't seen Big in a really long time, but I know with life size, it's like very much implied that she is stupid in the same way that Buddy kind of is. But she becomes smart really quickly within the world. Like by the end of it, she's like brushing Lindsay Lohan's hair and like being her mom. Like it's like, it's, she grows really fast. I don't know, Buddy doesn't, he 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 grows enough, I guess, but it's also kind of about conforming. I feel like he doesn't. Yeah, no, it is. I think I think though, like part of the joke of this movie is how like Buddy wants to be loved by his dad so badly, but it's like constantly turned into this like weird no homo joke. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like because people don't believe that he's actually his son. Yeah, and like him getting his dad like the bra and also just like that let's snuggle, let's hold hands. It's like, it's so uncomfortable because men like can't handle that as a concept. No, I've never seen a grown son like show physical affection other than hugging or maybe a kiss, maybe on the cheek or something. Yeah. But yeah, not anything else. It's like hard out here to be a man (laughs) in terms of emotional health. Like it's sad. Yeah. It's so bad to the point where they don't even know that they're missing something. So like Josh and I have been talking about this a lot lately because, you know, like we just moved in August. There's been like a lot of changes going on and like, you know, whatever relationship challenges like come up along the way, like that is real. And I think for me, having so many like besties uh, that I can like talk to really openly about stuff and just like, you know, when you have friends where you can say the most like, like lowbrow version of your point to them or like not worry about sounding problematic when you talk to them. Mm -hmm. I have so many friends like that. And it's like so nice to be able to like externalize like your most like core id thoughts and like men don't really have that. I feel like even gay men don't really have that. Didn't you think that Walter's wife was like a little too excited about him randomly discovering that he has an adult son? I don't know about it. I I thought it was nice. I don't, it's not that I think it wasn't nice. I just thought it was like a little too excited. I feel like there wasn't any level of like, like wanting to know tea. She was just like, okay, yeah, like that's amazing. La la la. I don't know. I think there's a, there's a real degree of her. She's taking on every responsibility for the emotional stability of their family. So like when he hears, when she hears, oh, I'm going to have to kick it into overdrive and like take care of this situation. So she's going to be like overly positive. That's true. Like I, That's a good point. And she's always trying to like balance out his negativity. What's his face's negativity into her. I don't think that she truly feels that way. I think she probably does have a lot of concern and like skepticism towards the situation, but she also is trying to like keep their family afloat in a way. This movie is... The best New York City at Christmas promo reel. What about Home ever? Alone 2 Lost in New York? I feel like they're very equally matched, but because Home Alone 2 is like a little bit more directly about New York, um, I think maybe it shows more of New York. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't, Elf doesn't actually, I mean, they do 
I guess they do show a decent amount, but it's not necessarily like the landmarks. It's more just like street city streets and then 30 Rock. I mean, still though, I feel like the, the, like the way that the music pairs with kind of like the walking around in the city streets vibes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It made me think it, it made a positive association with New York in my mind when I was a kid. Yeah. Same. Even though it's like, scary as a child I feel like when you think of going to New York as a kid like what do you think of like what sticks out in your mind the most being short and stressed I remember sweating and being really short and thinking like I don't like I don't know what's going on and I don't know why people I feel like I had a sort of a negative takeaway Mm -hmm. because I just was like well that was stressful and sweaty and I'm not sure what the appeal is. (laughs) I think I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't even really clear on what the appeal was going into college. (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) I was just like, well, I'm going to school here. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't think for either of us, it was like, I want to live in New York. It was like, this is the best program for the thing that I want to do. And I didn't want to go to the West Coast. So how annoyed are you by Zoe Deschanel? in this movie, scale of one to 10. 10 being the most? Yeah. Honestly, like one. Uh, Yeah, I feel like this is one where she's like, first of all, kind of unidentifiable. And then- Yeah. Because she's blonde. And yeah, and like her character feels organic. It doesn't feel overly shtick. Okay, because she does sing in this movie. But in, in a really grounded way. Yeah, in a really grounded way. And like, she has a great voice, but it's not like overly showy. Yeah. And I like that about it. I think it's unrealistic that she would date Buddy, but that's be- that's besides the point. Yeah, and and also- I really like her in this. At least the moment is that he's come back to the store bringing someone who is his brother. So to her, that is a moment of- oh, so this guy is tethered to some reality in some sense because he's got this real brother with him. And that- Yes. When um, he asks her out, the little brother dude like looks at her and like nods as though to say like, you should should say yes, which has interesting implications like- this man is challenged and you should Right. It's like in Napoleon Dynamite when Trisha has to say yes to going to the dance with Napoleon. It's exactly like that. But then they have a kid in the end. And then I was thinking about them having sex and I was like, I don't want to know. I mean, they're like a fine, like take away the character traits. Like they, they look good together, but yeah, like the idea of Buddy, the character having sex is not fun to think about. Ah, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I was curious as I was watching, because they keep talking about how he's 30, but I looked up how old Will Ferrell was in this movie. He was 36. So that's not that big of a difference, but I never know how old that man is. So... He was 36. Oh, I also didn't mention that this movie is 20 years old. Yeah. In, yeah, it's 20 years old. He's like about our parents' age. I think it's weird that all of these children are independently watching the news. Yeah, <laughs> unrealistic that that, would, uh, that that would be happening, but maybe they heard there was Yuletide drama going on. Well, it's especially weird because it's so easy to fix that. You can so easily, so like one of the kids was sitting next to their mom. That makes sense. That checks out. Yeah. But the other three kids were in their own bedrooms watching the news alone. One of the setups should have been that the parent is watching the news on a a kitchen TV and the kid is sitting there like coloring or something, like doing something else. And then they hear their own name being called on the TV, like, oh, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy wants new crayons. And then it's like, oh, yeah. you know? And like that little girl who's like, thanks, buddy. <laughs> like, thanks, they really, buddy. they give her the like Cindy Lou Who thing. I know. I actually love her part though, when she's sitting in the waiting room with him 
That's very cute. I like that yeah. part. Yeah, it was really cute. I love it when like child actors in a movie like that just like get to be cute kids. Just to wrap us up here, why do you think that this is a movie that has stood the test of time so heavily? I think everybody loves a fish out of water story. Yeah. There's a few like key scenes that kind of fall into the echelon of like the tongue being stuck on the frozen pole type yeah. of thing. Yeah. The soundtrack is good. The mm-hmm. sentiment is good. Like, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Like, I don't know how like dads feel about this movie. <laughs> I think they like it, but I, they didn't learn anything from it. <laughs> I feel like dads might like it from like the manhood, like, oh, he's being kind of gay angle. And just the like slapstick of it, I think is part of it yeah, too. Like, they're not learning. They're not learning the lesson. Like it's really no. the dad who's learning a lesson. He decides to child care over um, doing over, a pitch. Over publishing. I love the idea that like anyone would be there wanting to do that on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that was kind of funny. I was like, because if anybody, if you know anything about the publishing and or agency world, you know that shit is shut down. Yeah, like they're out of there. Publishing a children's book is likely not an emergency. (laughs) No. That you said, I think it's a genuinely cute ending. I think the setup is very much like a throwback to vintage Christmas that everyone can get into. And it's a fish out of water, as you said. It's just fun. And actually, we didn't even really credit this, but I think a huge reason also that people would want to revisit is the uh, really cool set design and production design choices that they made for the North Pole. Yeah. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. That whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. The whole outdoor section is like a huge reference to the specials that we were talking about. Yep. So yeah, it's like there's something in it for current children. There's something in it for angry fathers. Former children. There's something in it for (laughs) um, like people who loved those um, specials. I love Elf. We will continue to watch Elf every year. I'm definitely going to rewatch The Happiest Season. I feel primed for that now. Yeah. I want some Kristen Stewart in my life. Who does she play opposite of and why do I think it's Aubrey Plaza? Aubrey Plaza's in the movie, but she's not the romantic um, interest. It's sort of like, actually, it's funny you brought up Jinx and Bendela because they're in that movie too. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so it's like, it's more like, so basically the setup is just that Kristen Stewart is dating this girl. I forget. Her, the actress's name is like Mackenzie Davis, I think. Okay. She's dating her and they're like on the way to Victor Garber's home when she tells Kristen Stewart that she hasn't actually come out to her parents. So she needs Kristen Stewart to pretend to be her friend for this, which is terrible. Right, right, Because right. her dad, Victor yeah. Garber, is running for mayor. And for some reason, this town oh is extremely God. homophobic or something. I don't know. Yeah. Because I'm like, on what planet would anyone give a shit if the mayor's daughter is gay? Like, I feel like that's like... It's a reach. It's a reach for like being in like Pittsburgh. Because I think they're in... That's what it feels like. It's yeah. not like they're in the deep south or something. So the whole thing feels like a little bit unlikely that she would need to care mm-hmm. that much um, about that aspect. Because like you can leave it ambiguous. Like I just think it's funny that she yeah. is so committed to seeming straight. Oh, actually, the reason that I think that The Happiest Season is the way it is is because it's directed by Clee Duvall who had, I think, similar experiences probably in the 90s. I think it was somewhat autobiographical. So that Mm. jump from what you would do in the 90s to what you would do in the 2020s is like way different, but she treats it as the same. So I think that's why it feels a little bit like, oh, this is very um, old-fashioned how she's going about this. They should have 
They should have said it in the 90s. That would have been cool. I, that's what I said. When we were watching it recently, I was like, I feel like she should have just said it in the exact time that she experienced this because it's true. Like, I th- just yeah. think it would feel a little bit more like real. <laughs> so yeah, that that's our take on the happy. That's my take <laughs> on the happiest season. To all of our lovely listeners, we hope that you have a fantastic holiday, a good day off of work, hopefully, um, day or days off of work. We will be chilling with our family and uh, wearing cute outfits, hopefully. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey A. Leach on everything. You can follow me, Hannah, at Real Judy Garland on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And if you haven't joined our Discord server yet, please come join us. Uh, Discord is not hard to use. You got to just make the leap and you will not regret it. So the link to our server is in the episode description and we hope to see you there. You can check out our merch at twopinkproductions.com slash shop. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. And if you love yourself some sleepover cinema, please share an episode or two with friends, family, coworkers, and leave us a kind five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Thanks, Mr. Narwhal. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.